You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. So you guys, um, at some point, made a decision to relocate to Kazakhstan. What year was that? Uh, well, just to give a bit of a history, both Alfie and I in the uh, early 90s, 93 and 95, um, uh, took a year off of work and did some Bible school, specifically to be, um, you know, to go to mission. But it wasn't until 2003 that we saw the realisation of that and went um, connected with Doug and Anna Boyle in Kazakhstan. Right. And... Uh, Packed up our house and went. Alfie, when you married him, did you know that this was a potential? Did you know that you could finish up living in a foreign nation? No, it's, it always just amazes me that I had my own plan. You know, I wanted to either be a hairdresser or a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and, uh, and then when I met Blair, it just sort of, you know, we just blended and God really placed it in our hearts for missions. Right. And it was from the very beginning, actually. Okay, so you're saying from the very beginning, like... When you got married, you kind of thought this was going to happen? Well, not exactly, not in the way that it's turned out. But um, So we got married in April 1990, and in, earlier that year, Blair went on his first missions trip to the Solomon Islands, and he came back and he was so excited about it. And, um, and I think then, through that time, you know, God was working in our hearts, and, yeah, it just grew from that, and we just both knew that, that is something we wanted to do. We didn't know where, we didn't know in what capacity, but we certainly knew that overseas is where we wanted to work. When did you? When did? When was that realization crystallized in your heart, Blair? Um, yeah, probably when I went to the Solomon Islands. So I was um, uh, twenty-one, and yeah, I, I just—it's it, like when you do something. And it's, it resonates with who you are and your character and everything. It's just like something clicked. And I just thought, wow, this is uh, exciting and, um, you know, yeah. something I'd love to just be passionate about and do it, you know. Wow. Yeah. And so 2003, you've got a wife and two small children. Um, I think then uh, Jesse was probably three. Yeah. yeah and Lockie is five, isn't it? Five, yeah. yeah. So uh, you take your two small children... You pack up all your goods and chattels and you shift to Kazakhstan. Why did you do that? Like, why Kazakhstan? Like, how? Well, um, as we said, that we've been here since, like, uh, the early 90s. And I, I and Althea always took an interest in what was happening in missions. And we actually, like, were kind of, you know, the, the head of the missions department, if you want to put it that way. Organising dinners and um, and and different things, and we had um, Doug and Anna Boyle have are missionaries that we've been supporting since that time, and he came here with these incredible uh, stories about Kazakhstan and the Teen Challenge there and everything. And the one thing he said that captured me was that um, if you can speak English, you can come and be a missionary. <laughs> <laughs> and because what I discovered when I was at Bible college and everything, there was a lot of kind of technical hoops that, you know, you should jump through. And, you know, I, that's not my, my gift, really. I'm just a, like a tradie guy. But we, we both really love people. We're people, you know, um, very personable with people. And he was offering that that was the strength you needed to, to become a missionary. And we just said, that's us. 
<laughs> so off to Kazakhstan we went. Yeah. Wow, in 2003. Yeah. And so how long were you in Kazakhstan for, Alfie? So we were in Kazakhstan for seven, or nearly seven years. Seven yeah. years. So of that seven-year season in, Kazakh- in Kazakhstan, what, what's, a, what's a standout kind of memory or uh, something that you'd, you know, um, take with you? I mean, obviously, over seven years or close to it, there's there's a lot of things. But I think for for me is uh, when the Teen Challenge programs would get together for a combined meeting. So all of the programs, men's, women's, detox, homeless, juvenile or uh, teenage kids program would be in a, in a meeting like this, probably about 400 people. And when the worship time came, you would see them lifting their hands. You could see that God was working in their hearts. Uh, People were still battered and bruised. You can see it from the outside, but you certainly knew they were battered and bruised on the inside. And just that presence of the Lord and the hunger for people. And and I'd look across the, the room and I could never just stand there. I was always crying because it was very emotional. Um, to see that God loved every single person, but also that we, that he gave us as a family the privilege to be there to see mm-hmm. that process. Some of them, we saw them when they first came in the program until after and even beyond. And it's like, you know, there's nothing better. You know, it really puts faith in, uh, in yourself and, uh, that, and, and in the Lord, of course, but that he's, he's placed you in a, in a place to, to serve and, and you're his hands and feet in that yeah, place. Great. So, yeah, it was great. So you guys were working in the Teen Challenge program, for those of you who weren't clear. Uh, the, the, you guys are working in the T, TC program, Teen Challenge program, <clears throat> that had residential uh, rehabilitation for men, women, all the uh, categories that you just, that you just gave. Um, and then that season seemed to come to an end, around 2010. Uh, and then when did you get to Georgia, Lee? Uh, it was uh, February of 2013. Um, so at the, the end of our time in Kazakhstan, in the combined, combined meetings that they would have, they were planning to um, be uh, missions orientated and take what God was doing in Kazakhstan and take it to other fields around, like neighbouring countries, which Georgia is... Well, it's across the Caspian Sea, but it's a neighbour to Kazakhstan. So we were a part of that whole kind of, um, you know, excitement. Uh, but at that time, we had a plan to come back to Australia for a while. So we spent three, three and a half years here. And then we were contacted by um, Doug, uh, and he said that the, the, the team that planted the Teen Challenge in uh, Georgia, the director was leaving and he said to us, oh, I just want to put a challenge out to you. I really appreciated you guys in Kazakhstan, but I'm going to have to close this program. Um, would you be willing to come and take it on and, and, and take it further? And, uh, of course, we spent three years here back in Australia, but we, we were never here kind of thing. Our hearts were you know, uh, feeling the pressure that we could continue our call. So we said yes to that. And um, so, yeah, we, we went and, and worked and served and strengthened that. And thanks God it's operating today. So, right, right. Yeah. But you're not part of that anymore. No. So tell us about that and tell us what it is that you guys are, par- are a part of and what is that you're uh, doing at the moment. So we're working with 
Christ International Church Mission and our focus is Iranian or Persian people, Iranians, peoples. peoples. So it's not just Persians or Iranians, it's Kurdish and Azeri as well uh, to disciple and evangelise those people groups. Um, Georgia is a Christian nation and um, many, well many thousands over the years have come over our borders to escape their their regime, you know, their uh, very difficult regime. And so we use what we are doing in, t- in um, CIC mission as a way to evangelise and to, to disciple them. But um, it's about people. That's why we're there. You know, you can build a big farm, you can build um, big training centres, but it's about people. God loves people, we love people, and we want to be able to connect with them in that way. Right. So be, just be real practical then with this, Blair. Like, what, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis for you guys? Yeah, so um, uh, the, the director of this uh, mission, his name is Reza, and he was handed a New Testament Bible when he was living in Iran. He was a, a businessman, had about 40 people working for him, and, but feeling very empty, very dissatisfied, and someone handed him a New Testament Bible and he read it, you know, he read it through and his words, not mine, he said at the end of reading it uh, and, and thinking about it, one morning he just woke up and he said, I was born again. And he became, um, he became a, a, a radical guy just with truckloads of Bibles just travelling all through Iran and on the holidays and different, you know, out in the country areas, handing out these Bibles. He got caught, he was put in prison, uh, he was beaten up, and his father got him out, he went to Georgia. And rather than fleeing to, um, to the West, which he was offered several times, he said, no, I'm going to stay in Georgia and I'm going to build a ministry where people like me who want to believe in Jesus have a safe place they can still go back and live in Iran, but they can come and live and work and be discipled. So in order to do that, if you have a lot of people coming, you've got to feed them. So he came up with this idea to build a self-sustaining farm where people could come work on it and grow food and meat and all these things and then study the Word of God and, and be evangelistic, handing out Bibles. And so... Basically, uh, myself and Jesse, because um, I'm a, a tradie guy, practical guy, and I also grew up in farming, um, you know, I just spend a lot of time each day shoulder to shoulder with these young Iranian guys, Azeri guys, um, Georgian guys, um, and just being a big brother or a parent, you could say, uh, spiritually. Um, and on the farm. Yeah, on the farm. Right. Yeah, so, but also I do teach in the Bible school as well. Um, yeah, just involved in every aspect. Right. Yeah. But Alfie, what is it, I mean, we're sitting here, you know, there's a uh, couple hundred people here this morning or whatever, um, and uh, there's a fair percentage of people here this morning who uh, have, have God's heart for the nations. Um, we try to focus on that at least once a month and say, you know, we're part of something that's bigger than just our four walls. Um, And I completely am sold out to the notion 
that if you've met Jesus, you can't remove that from your heart um, because God so loved the world. Uh, what is it do you think, or what is it that you'd like to say to a group of people this morning if the question was, what, do you, what can we do for you? Um, well, how can we best serve you as you serve God in this way? Because uh, not everybody can go, but we, you know, I like to think that we are going with you, that, you know, you, in, in a vicarious sense. Amen. So what can we do? How can we best serve you? Well, what I like to say to everyone, uh, whoever we meet, um, as Pastor John said, we have the privilege to go, but not everyone can for whatever reason. But because this is our home church and you're partnering up with us, not only in prayer but in finances, whatever uh, we do over there, whatever Bible we hand to someone, whatever person we share the gospel with, each and every one of you are a part of it. We know that and we feel that and we believe that. And when we tell the people that we're with and we tell them about our home church, how, how faithful they are, they say, please, say a big hello to Centro because they do. We always make sure that we are connected. You are our brothers and sisters, but we're over there, you know. What I want to say to people is um, or how you can support, like, just keep praying for us. That is something, you know, it's a given really, isn't it? Um, but we really value your prayers, not only for... Fi- um, for f- for um, safety when we're when we're on the roads, or but also that God's grace would keep us, uh, that we would keep that fire burning in our hearts to 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 keep sharing and to have this longevity in our ministry, and also maybe um, yeah, just keeping what we're doing alive, like through um, you know newsletters or contacting via email or Skype or or whatever that is, and yeah, that that's really just to keep it alive. Because those are precious men and women over there, mm. and we can see that God is making a difference, and we just want to include you in on the journey with us. Great. Uh, we, we've we've had a couple of teams go over. Um, uh, Pastor Brett took a, a youth team, I guess you'd describe it, uh, younger people, and uh, t- tell us what that meant to you. How tell us the effect of that? Uh, actually, it really meant a lot to us um, for a few reasons because we have two. Um, um, boys, one Lockie's 21, Jesse's 19, and um, over the years we visited here, and for some, you know, few years they are like in in the church here, in the youth ministry, in the Sunday school. So their their mates came over, and actually um, a lot of the time they the team was just taking off with them, and Alfie and I were busy or at home or whatever, and just really hung out with our two boys and had a great time and you know both uh, Lachlan and Jesse said after the team went that it was very timely for them because um, even though um, you know both the boys have been raised you know we've done our very level best to raise them as as uh, Christian you know young young guys both of them in the last couple of years have really met the Lord um, in a really personal and powerful way, uh, however you'd like to say that, and probably Jesse will speak about that tonight. Um, but just finding that common passion with some Aussie 
young people just cemented it. Yeah, great. And I, I've seen a change since that, and I say that from my heart, since that, that trip, I've seen a, a, a change in the boys again, a further wonderful change. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, part of our ministry is not just to disciple, um, you know, the people of Georgia, but also our sons. And mm. when, when someone gets involved in that and helps you do that, it's big. Big deal, it's isn't a big it? deal for us because they're, they're our life in a sense. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. So, and then Shane and, and Steve and Max came, mm. and we just had a a thousand talks across the table, laughing, and and um, uh, I showed the guys around Georgia a bit the my favourite things, and uh, they just had a great time, and it was just a great encouragement for us. Yeah. Let me just pick up on that theme quickly, Althea, uh, about the children. Because um, you went over with a three-year-old <laughs> and a five-year-old, and uh, and you're taking them into a foreign nation. Um, they're about to head into their education, uh, and you know I've no doubt the room is full of people who have children, parents, and one of the big questions that you all have is uh, how do we educate our children? You are taking your kids into a completely different environment. Could you give us a little bit of an insight into how, is it, how this has affected them and how you have been able to sort of bring them through this missionary journey living in a foreign, foreign, two foreign nations? So in the beginning, obviously, it was quite difficult because of the language and the food and everything. And, and our boys, uh, they picked up the language within three months. We were so jealous because they were starting to talk to people and communicate but because they had each other, that bond really grew. And honestly, our boys are the best of friends even to this day. We're a very close-knit family. Um, and, and of course, when you're growing a family, especially when you have children, there are always ups and downs, uh, as everyone does have. But we, we maintained that close family. We maintained that it's not just about mum and dad as missionaries, but they are a very big part of what we're doing. We included them Mm. in everything and they felt included. Um, But also with the the education, they went to a local uh, Russian school and that's where they furthered their, their, uh, their language, but also just feeling that they were a part of it. And even when they were small, if there was a, you know, a dozen kids playing and ours were there, you wouldn't even think that they were a couple of Aussie kids because they, they just were so natural. Mm. Um, and then as they grew, obviously, when we came back to Australia, we enrolled them into a, a local uh, high school and then we did homeschool. But they were always with you know, p- their peers uh, at school and uh, in the Teen Challenge. And, yeah, honestly, they, they've just really grown into wonderful men and, yeah. and well-balanced, you know, well-balanced and loving, loving yeah. guys. So I, I think it's an experience. Like, yes, of course, it was difficult in times, but I know they've appreciated that, that um, diverseness in their studies. Well done. Yeah, good job. They're lovely boys. They're lovely young men. Well, well done. <laughs> um, just what, one last quick question. Um, Balea, uh, living in Georgia, uh, having grown up in Australia, an Aussie, you know, you were an Aussie lad. Yeah. Uh, do you miss anything of our culture? Uh, okay, I'm just going to say the, 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 the truth right okay, now. Okay, the truth. <laughs> That'd be nice. Seatbelts on. 
I've got to tell the truth. Can't can lie. handle the truth. Salt and vinegar chips. Salt and vinegar chips. <laughs> <laughs> I love salt and vinegar chips. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> what about me, I think. <laughs> and you can't get salt and vinegar chips in Georgia. Oh, okay. You can, you can. You can. Yeah, but they cost, it cost a bit. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Did you have a, a, a more spiritual answer? or? <laughs> Okay, more spiritual answer. Yeah, of course, our family and our friends. Okay, sure. say yeah, that. yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> An Aussie girl too. Um, I miss the Aussie bush. I love the smell of the bush. You know, rainforests and after the rain and the sounds of the birds. It's just something you come in here and you go, yeah, this is Australia. This is lovely. And that's what I do miss. Well, we miss you guys because uh, we love you guys being part of us, but we also recognise that uh, our, our, in a sense, we, um, uh, we have not just sent you, but this is, um, we've sown, and, and, and we, we, we know that uh, we are richer for having been able to partner with you in this. Why don't we put our hands together and thank Blair and Althea. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. On your seat, there is a, um, a, a little uh, brochure uh, that just says the Grieve family, and uh, there's a little bit more information there. So there's one in every second seat. If you missed out, there is, you can get one on the information desk on the way out. So if the person beside you's got one and they're not related to you, uh, or you don't even know them, and you thought, well, I wanted to get one of those, by all means, just grab one on the way out there. That'd be fantastic. Uh, I want to continue in the vein of story this morning, um, because mission is all about story. Uh, Jesus really is all about story. And uh, I want to tell you a quick story about a woman by the name of Naomi. Uh, Naomi, due to a, um, due to a, uh, a famine, had to go to a foreign nation called Moab. And the Moabites, if you've been doing your reading uh, guides with us, we're reading through the book of Numbers, you see that the Moabites are quite uh, at war, quite at odds with the Israelites. So she's in this foreign nation. And in this foreign nation, um, she takes with her, uh, she, uh, uh, not unlike our, um, our uh, friends this morning, had two small sons. Um, so she and her husband moved to, Moab, moved to Moab with their two small children. The two small children marry two uh, local girls, um, and that's where the similarity stops because uh, through a tragic set of circumstances, the husband and the two boys died. No, no connection there but with, with Larry and Alfie, obviously. And, uh, and so this woman is left in this foreign nation on her own, Naomi, with her two uh, daughters-in-law. So she says to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your families. You know, uh, there's nothing, I have nothing for you. I'm going to go back to Israel and I hope that I'll be able to survive because in an ancient land... Women on their own had very little hope, really. And one of the women said, no, I'm not going to go with you. And that woman's name was Ruth. And she, this is a very famous line from this lady, Ruth. Ruth said, where you die, I will die. That's commitment. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates me from you. Question, why did she do that? Why didn't she go back to her family? Why didn't she stay in the land that she knew, the land that she was born, the land that she grew up, Moab? Why did she go back to Israel with this, um, uh, with this mother-in-law of hers, Naomi? There was no law that directed her. There was no moral obligation. 
There was no social pressure. I can only come up with one motive, but this is a powerful motive. I can only come up with one reason why she did this, but it's, it's overwhelmingly significant. The only reason that Ruth, who finished up, by the way, having a book in the Bible named after, which is pretty amazing if you're a woman, firstly, but almost uh, mind-shatteringly incredible when you think she's not an Israelite woman. She has an Old Testament book named after. I mean, that's mind-blowing. The only one reason she does this is because of love. She's motivated by love. Love is the reason why she goes. I want to suggest to you that God always needs people motivated by love who are prepared to go. People who have a, a love for other people and are prepared to inconvenience themselves for the benefit and the nurture of other people. God, these people see incredible things happen. So she goes back to Israel. Uh, and in Israel, they have nothing. She, she's there with her mother-in-law and, and she has nothing. There is a certain law in Israel, which is quite an incredible law when you think about it. God in, instituted a law to govern this nation, which shows his compassion and heart for people, number one, but two, it's just a really good idea. And that is, um, in the nation of Israel, if you had a farm, you couldn't harvest your crop. You had to leave margins around the border of your farm for the aliens and for the poor people to come and, and take it. So um, the old lady says to the young woman, you go and, you know, um, and pick the, the crops on the edge and we'll get some food and we'll survive. And so uh, Ruth the Moabite says to, to Naomi, let me go into the field and pick the leftover grain behind anybody uh, whose eyes I find favor. Naomi says, go. So she enters the field and begins to glean. That's the term that they used to describe this action. Behind the harvesters, as it turns out, she was working the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Amalek. Um, this was such a, a great law because greed is something that sneaks into your heart and you don't even know it. Greed is something you really only see in other people. It's something that you can't define within yourself. But I have a definition of greed that I've used many times. The definition of greed is the assumption that everything in my hand is for my consumption. So God instituted a law that, if you will, almost um, determined greed would not exist in his people because he said all that exists in your field is not for your consumption. You have to leave a margin for the poor and for the needy. And she's in this um, field gleaning, picking up after the harvesters, what's left, the little bits and pieces for her and her mother-in-law, and was owned by Moaz. And, and it says in chapter 2 and verse 14, in the mean, um, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. How many know it always starts with a, uh, a cup of tea? Or it starts with a drink? Hey, come over to my place, or hey, let's go out and have a bite to eat. She sits down with the harvesters. He offers her some roasted grain. And she ate all she wanted, and there was some left over. Well, she goes back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she says, I'm in this guy's field. His name is Boaz, and he, he invited me for, for a meal. And, and Ruth um, doesn't really quite understand what Naomi gets. Naomi's an older woman, and how many know that older women always have a plan, a scheme? And, uh, and she has a scheme. <laughs> and she says, ready to take this to the second level. 
So she tells the, the daughter-in-law this ancient tradition, and don't try this at home. <laughs> she says, when he's asleep, go and lie down at his feet. Right? This is an ancient tradition. And, um, and then when he wakes up, um, say, you know, can you put your blanket over me or whatever? And so, <laughs> so she does this. She goes and she lies down in chapter 3 of verse 9. And this is what happens. Right? You do it the day you might get shot. So don't do this at home. All right? <laughs> says, who are you? <laughs> naturally <laughs> if you get disturbed in the middle of the night by somebody lying on your feet you're going to say something too right <laughs> who are you is about as polite as it would get i would imagine i am your servant ruth she said spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my guardian redeemer since you are a guardian redeemer of our family and boaz response is and now my daughter don't be afraid i will do as you asked all the people of my town know that you are of noble character and he spreads his garment he spreads the um, his his cloth over this particular girl and the two of them life goes on they get married and uh, i want to just make a really important observation here i'm not going to talk much longer but i do want to i do want to say this i do want to say um althea said a moment ago when i asked what can we do for you she said well you can pray can i can i challenge you this morning don't pray for them don't pray for them unless you are prepared to be the answer to that prayer i think that's you know uh, she said it was a given and yeah to some degree it's a given but i i want to i want to take it out of the given box (laughs) i want to say i don't think we should be praying for them at all i think you should probably take this home and throw it in the bin and so i'm going to have nothing to do with this do not pray for them at all unless you are prepared to be the answer to that prayer i think this whole idea of just praying for you know praying for these people or whatever whatever it's a uh, it can be it doesn't have to be but it can be a cheap way out and that's not what we do so don't pray for them not at all never mention them in your prayers right throw this in the bin on the way out unless unless you are prepared to cover them like boaz was prepared to cover ruth um these two get married boaz and ruth and they have a son his name is obed and have you ever heard of obed probably not probably not obed has a son his name is jesse and have you ever heard of jesse maybe some of you but jesse has a son his name is david anyone heard of goliath and david <laughs> everybody Here's, this is going to blow your mind, all right? This is, this is the truth, if you can handle it. When you assent and you go with a motivation of love, the world is changed. This little girl who lost her husband and now goes with this woman, right, her mother-in-law, back to a foreign nation, had no idea that her great-grandchild would become so famous that 3,000 years later, now almost everyone on the planet would know who he was. David, Goliath, she had no idea how she was going to affect the world. But this is what happens when you decide, I am going to be motivated and I am going to respond for two others on the motivation or on the basis of love this is what happens 
And of course, you can take the story on. It wasn't just David. <laughs> Who else came from that lineage? None other than Jesus Christ himself. This is mind-blowing, folks, that a Moabite girl, you read the book of, as we're doing right now, the book of Numbers, and you see how the Moabites hated the Israelites and how God punished the Moabites. A Moabite woman becomes the great-great-great-grandmother to the whatever power of the Son of God who redeemed mankind. Do you think she had any idea when she went with her um, mother-in-law back to that nation of Israel that the redemption of of humanity was in the balance? She had no idea. Here's the point. Neither do you. We have no idea what we're doing when we move to a foreign nation motivated by love. You see, this is where destiny is found, folks. This is all about destiny. To be the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus was Ruth's destiny. She had no idea. She's gone off to that field that day to get enough food to survive the next 24 hours. They have nothing. They are living hand to mouth, hand to mouth. But because of the motive of love, they're going to change Literally, I mean literally change the world. And I want to encourage you today. I want to say to you today, God still needs people who will go and he needs people who will cover those that go. Boaz's and Ruth's. Who are you going to be? Because you've got to be one or the other. You've either got to go or cover the one who has gone. What the kingdom requires. It's where your destiny lies. Destiny awaits. Um, David, David, very famous guy in the Bible, very famous for everybody who's, who's, who's not even a Christian has probably heard of you know, David and Goliath, the story. Don't really know the background, but David wrote a lot of things we call Psalms. He writes this in Psalm, Psalm 17, verse 8. He says, Um, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. What does that mean? And where did David get that from? I don't know. But I'm going to put this out there for your consideration. I wonder if one day David was at grandma's house, great-grandma's house, Ruth, as a little boy. And he says to Ruth, how did you and great-granddad meet? How did that happen? And she tells him a story that I've shared with you today about how he covered her with his wing and how she became safe under his provision. That's what that means. She came under his provision. I don't know this. But it's a jolly, amazing coincidence if it's not right, isn't it? Could you imagine? And David thinks to himself, wow, that's how great-granddad and great-grandma met. And he covered her under his wing. You know, that's what God has done for me. And many, many, many years later, he puts it in a psalm. Psalm 17 and verse 8. And I want to 
draw your attention, if I can, this morning to this. A garment that you can use to cover those who have gone. Can you just take it in your hand for a moment? Just take it in your hand for a moment. We're going to um, stand in a moment. We're going to worship the Lord in a, in a couple and sing a couple of songs. But just before we do that, I'm going to pray over this. Because this is a garment that you will use this morning to cover those who go. We call it a faith promise card, and I'll explain to you what this is about. So listen very carefully, if you would. Hold this in your hand and listen very carefully. Because Jesus, with a heart of love, he went and came to the world. This is the way that God works. God needs those who will go. He needs those who will give. Going and giving. And you don't think that God isn't involved in this? God so loved the world that he gave. He came, he left heaven and came to earth. And that dynamic continues. This global um, faith promise card, um, what you do is you ask God to speak to you. This is not about some kind of pledge. We don't follow this up. We don't say, you know, well, you've promised to do this and you haven't done it. This is never followed up. We just pray with you, that's all. We don't know who follows this through and who doesn't. This is between you and God. This is not between you and the church, per se. Um, we partner with these guys. We partner with other people. Um, the, the, the Maxwells will be here tonight. They're at Collingwood Park. and be interviewing them in a few moments' time. Um, you can, you, you, this is not about what you can do. This is about what you believe God wants to do through you, what you believe God wants to do through you. Now, this, is, this has impacted my life, and I, I tell the story often, um, how my mother, who was a, a housewife in the 50s in, in Sydney, um, her husband was anti-God. He would give her enough money to buy groceries and nothing else. Don't ever give to that church. That was his philosophy. Right? Now, don't give anything to that church. All they want is your money. And she, got, she made a faith promise as, a, uh, as a, young, a young woman, as a young mother, with no income. She had nothing, but she sensed God wanted something of her for global impact. And, and she made a faith promise, and the result of that faith promise was, and you probably couldn't do this today, but she started looking after the neighborhood children after, uh, after uh, school, and, and then the mothers would pay her to look after their children. And we had, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 kids at our house playing with my, and breaking my toys. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, I got over it. <laughs> But um, uh, they would pay her and she would use that money to make her faith promise. God made an income stream for her that didn't exist when she made this. Here's my question to you this morning. I wonder what income stream God wants to bless you with or to cause you to be a blessing with. I wonder what's there. And it's just waiting for a step of faith for you to say, I'm going to fill this out. I'm going to make a faith promise. This is not, you know, I can save a bit here and save a bit there and I can give $5 a month or I can give whatever. I mean, God bless you if, that's what, if you give that. But, but, but don't make that 
decision on the basis of what you can afford. Make that decision on the basis of what God can do through you to supernaturally change the world because you have no idea who these guys might meet who gives birth to this one and before you know it, the world is changed. You don't know, but I tell you this, take this to the bank. When people go motivated by love, the world changes. The world changes. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 